Welcome back to another episode of the Hardwood Homies NBA Draft Podcast. I'm your host, Jackson Hoy, and I'm joined in studio today by Cesar Smokowski. How's it going, Cesar? Man, I'm doing excellent. Having a very cheeky Monday right here. We're, uh, we're here on Hardwood Homies, bring you another episode of all the NBA Draft uh, news, rough, raw, and rugged that you could possibly want. Man, we're back at it, giving out these grades. We got a lot to talk about, man. We're going through some more divisions. Yep, we are doing the Pacific and Northwest divisions today, capping off our review and grading series. These two divisions had quite a few picks in them. We'll be going over 24 selections today. We'll try to be a little more brief with the discussions on these because we don't want to run over two hours, potentially, which at the rate that we did the last podcast could happen, but... We'll try to go through these picks a little quicker, and we'll start with the Pacific Division, where the first team we will cover is the Los Angeles Lakers, who had four picks in this year's draft. The Lakers' first pick was, obviously, Lonzo Ball at number two. This is a really good pick for the Lakers. Lonzo Ball, just extremely good talent, awesome player. You know, his his basketball IQ, passing ability, just all-around impact on an offense is really incredible, and He's the type of guy who can be a phenomenal complimentary star to these superstars that L.A. envisions adding. You know, your Paul Georges, your LeBrons, potentially down the line, even if Brandon Ingram becomes a go-to player. Lonzo Ball is so valuable because he can bring value to a team without needing the ball to be in his hands that much. So I gave this grade a B-plus for the Lakers just because, you know, Lonzo Ball was my number four prospect. So it wasn't the perfect value at number two, obviously. But I still really like this pick, and I think it's a super great fit for them going forward. Yeah, the Lakers, of course, with the number two spot, they looked at Josh Jackson and De'Aaron Fox and other guys that could come up at that point. But, you know, just to cut it short, you know, pound for pound as a prospect, you know, the three guys aren't far far apart. Obviously, Jackson provides, you you know, so much boost on defense and has a lot of versatility on offense. And other guys like Darren Fox and Jonathan Isaac lend themselves, you know, to having advanced skills and can develop a lot. But when it comes to, you know, physiological fit with that regime and what they're looking for, Ball was a clear choice, you know. And I think that he'll benefit a lot from Magic Johnson's tutelage and Luke Walton's, you know, up-tempo offense, similar to what they ran at UCLA, and they, you know, have a great opportunity to be, uh, have a dif- difference maker in Lonzo Ball, who, of course, looks primarily to, to make his teammates better, and then can, you know, shoot the ball very well, and has, you know, a very well-rounded offensive game, so, uh, I think as, you know, LA angles to land, you know, these established stars, you know, we, as we've been talking about LeBron, you know, Paul George, hopefully in the future, you know, I'm still hoping that, you know, Russell Westbrook, maybe, you know, other guys that obviously ha- see the allure of, you know, LA under Magic Johnson. So I think that, you know, Ball's development will be critical to that point uh, as a selling point saying we have this guy who's up and coming and can really run an offense. And, you know, he should be up for the task. And LeVar Ball will definitely be there, up there, too. Yeah. Uh, there's also been reports that the Lakers are interested in bringing in George Hill. I think that Lonzo Ball would be a great fit next to George Hill. George Hill could be a great mentor. Obviously, this would be on a one-year contract to preserve cap space in 2018. But uh, by the time you're listening to this, George Hill's probably signed somewhere. So this is dated, I'm sure. But George Hill and Lonzo Ball would be an interesting fit. But this was an awesome selection for the Lakers. And... 
you know, they didn't they didn't mess it up. They didn't try to get cute. I think Ball was not the best selection. I mean, I, I love Jonathan Isaac, and I really think he might have been a better player here as an even better complimentary star. But given the fact that they want to go for guards, especially after they traded D'Angelo Russell, if they wanted a guard, I think Lonzo was their guy. But the next selection they made, I also liked. Uh, they got Kyle Kuzma out of Utah at number 27. I gave this great this pick a B. You know, it wasn't my favorite pick in terms of value because I do think there were some really good players left on the board. You look at uh, Derek White, uh, Wesley Wundu, some other picks that they could have made. I mean, even Jonah Bolden, our guy, was still there, Shemi Ojale. So there were some certain picks that they could have made that would have been better value. But I still think Kuzma was pretty good value here because he's a talented all-around power forward. Doesn't really have one super standout skill in his game, but he does everything pretty well. And obviously with the combine, he blew up after just scoring lights out in those combine games. So if his shot's falling like it was in the combine, he's a really, really interesting player. But, you know, he doesn't really have any significant weaknesses to his game. It's just a matter of figuring out what his niche is going to be in the NBA. And maybe he gets moved in a potential trade for someone down the line because that's been discussed in order to open up cap space or something. But if not, I think he's a nice complimentary player to those stars that they're looking to bring in at the forward spots. Yeah, with this end of the first round pick, the Lakers were obviously said to be high on Kuzma. And you know, they said, you know, or what we've been uh, assuming were that he they coveted, you know, his blend of skill and shooting ability. He's more athletic than several of the other stretch forward prospects in that range. And he has some good upside as a role player. You know, he's not a especially proven athlete and then shoot well that you know that well from uh three at utah last season but you know teams think he can figure that out and you know if he does he can be a nice fit for what they're building in la and obviously lonzo ball you know loves having shooters around him like he had with tj leaf and other guys at ucla so despite his fit as a decent role player you know i think that kuzma may have been an overreach just in terms of pure talent but I think that he fits. You know, the other thing that we've been talking about was he doesn't have too many deficiencies, but he only shot 32% from three on three-point uh, attempts per game and a low 66% from the th- uh, excuse me from the three free uh, three free from throw the free line. throw line. Yeah, sorry. Um, <laughs> and you know, so I think that he obviously has some things that he needs to improve, but I think that he can be a decent player. But uh, I think that there there could have other been other places that they could have gone with that 27th pick yeah not a terrible pick just you know kind of your average average selection next pick for the Lakers was number 30 where they got Josh Hart I like this pick a lot for the Lakers as you know another shooting oriented role player I gave it a B plus I think Josh Hart uh, you know some people were super high on him as a 3 and D prospect I was a little lower just because I don't know how much of his defense will translate to the NBA and I'm not super confident in his jump shot just because it's a very laborious shot, and I'm not sure how it will transition to the NBA line, you know, moving a few feet back with the laboriousness of his jumper, how he'll adjust to that. But he's posted all the numbers that he could have in college, and that's what's encouraging for him. So uh, it, it's not a question of how good was he in college. It's a question of how does he translate to the NBA, and that's going to be the real thing with Josh Hart that teams will look at. But I think, or that I guess the Lakers looked at, and that's going to determine his success. But I think he has the potential to really succeed having other guys set up for him like Lonzo Ball. And, you know, if he can develop that three-point shot to where he can hit it from NBA range and, you know, continue to utilize his finishing ability. He put up great finishing numbers at Villanova 
even though you know he's not the best athlete and doesn't have super elite length. You know, if he can do those things well, he could definitely be, you know, a Danny Green type of player for those Lakers teams that, you know, need those role players. But I don't know how much of what he does will transit to the NBA, given his limited athleticism and the laboriousness of his jumper, not to mention the fact that he played in a system at Villanova that really emphasized his strengths. But I think this was a pretty good pick for the Lakers. Yeah, Hart, one of the, you know, most seasoned and hardworking veteran shooting guards available in this draft. I think that Hart was a nice pickup for the Lakers who acquired the 42 pick after, you know, dealing down from 28 with Utah. And I think the Jazz, you know, probably were concerned about the Spurs taking their guy, Tony Bradley, at 29. So the Lakers definitely benefited. I think Hart is, you know, viewed around the league as an incredibly safe pick. You know, a guy that has a lot of experience already and can guard multiple, you know, positions and makes winning plays. So if he can improve the quality of his jump shot, I think that, you know, he'll be a good complement to those, you know, young L.A. players. And he can bring in some, you know, sadly championship, you know, pedigree from the championship that they stole from the clutches of Roy Williams. But regardless, I think that, you know, he's a good role player who can provide, you know, backup depth depth at that two spot. Yeah, I like this pick for the Lakers. But their next pick I did not like hardly at all. They took Thomas Bryant, number 42 overall. I gave this pick a D. I just don't really think Thomas Bryant's an NBA player. I had him as the number 62 player on my board. So I gave him an undrafted grade. I just, Bryant looks the part. You know, he's six foot eleven with a seven foot six wingspan. You know, he's got a pretty built frame at 248 pounds. And, you know, he's even flashed some stretch ability. You know, he was hitting some threes last season. I believe he attempted more threes than TJ Leaf last year if my memory serves correctly. So Thomas Bryant definitely flashed some some cool things, but he just is so slow and his agility is so bad that I think he's going to get destroyed on defense in the NBA. And he plays with a good motor, but that motor is weird because it, it completely doesn't show up on the glass. You know, he's not a good rebounder at all. He only averaged about six rebounds a game last year as a starting center on Indiana. So he just was a guy who I just was really disappointed with. You know, I think he has some great tools, and he regressed a lot during his sophomore year. You know, last year he was projected as pretty much a top 20 pick, but his sophomore season, his two-point scoring regressed a ton. He turned the ball over a ton. Uh, He kind of just started to chuck threes and stay out of the paint, which hurt his game uh, all around, and he's just not a very good athlete, and while he's got some size, I just, I don't see it in his game, and he struggles a ton on defense, even with his size, so I didn't love Thomas Bryant. I didn't think it was a good pick, but He's only 19. I think the Lakers saw some upside with him, so I understand it. I just think they should have looked harder at him and pointed out what his flaws were and how those flaws are going to hold him back, and I think that that's going to be the verdict on Thomas Bryant in the NBA. Yeah, this was kind of, you know, a stranger pick out of the ones that they had. So, uh, you know, obviously Thomas Bryant could have elected to be a one-and-done after a very strong freshman year. But he did instead opt into returning to Bloomington, you know, for his sophomore season at Indiana. And that may have been, you know, a tumultuous decision since he did regress a little bit, you know, having a lot of his stats digress in terms of efficiency, you know, as he played, you know, a lot of, uh, excuse me, a lot of, you know, rough competition in, you know, a very difficult conference. So, you know, obviously the big upside of Bryant is, you know, his size and length and reach allow him to, you know, affect the game in multiple areas. You know, 
uh, particularly as a finisher, and he shows some upside as a guy that can get on the offensive glass. But the big question was he didn't really show that too much at Indiana. He has the frame and you know reach of a guy that can obviously have an impact as a rebounder and shot blocker, but didn't really show that you know effort level necessarily at his two seasons at Indiana. So obviously it's an upside play, and you're hoping that he can capitalize on his physical gifts. But you know I'm not sure about how much you know he's going to be and how efficient he's going to be able to be you know with that LA squad. So. It was kind of strange, and, you know, I don't know if he's going to necessarily fit with that young core and, you know, what they're looking to build. Yeah, he'll probably be a G League player. I, I could see him potentially succeeding in that setting if he can capitalize on his tools a little more, but for now, I'm not a huge fan of Thomas Bryant. As a whole, I'm going to give the Lakers draft a B. I thought none of their picks were extremely great picks, but I thought all three of their first-round picks were solid picks. And while I didn't like Thomas Bryant, it was their fourth selection of the night. He's probably not going to be on their roster anyway, so... It didn't matter that much. What did you give the great Cesar? I gave it a B, edging to a B plus. I like, you know, Lonzo is great. I love Lavar. You know, he's my favorite person on the earth. Uh, obviously, I think Kyle Kuzma was a bit of an overreach, you know, in terms of just value. And I like Josh Hart a lot. I think he can be a valuable role player in that scenario. So it was a, a solid draft. I think Magic Johnson has something going here. Yeah, uh, Lakers definitely team to watch get over the next season and next offseason with all the cap space that they have the ability to open up. And these young pieces could potentially either be part of a trade to acquire a superstar or be role players. So I'm certain that some of these guys, especially obviously Lonzo, but Kuzma and Hart could definitely be big in the news with trades or being a part of an elite Lakers team. So this is a draft to watch certainly over the coming years to see how these picks pan out. The next team to talk about is the Phoenix Suns who had three selections in this year's draft, the first being Josh Jackson at number four overall. I gave this pick an A. I thought Josh Jackson was just a perfect fit for the Phoenix Suns core. We've talked about this a bunch of times on the podcast, just how well Jackson fits next to Devin Booker, Marquise Chris, Dragon Bender, the rest of those young guys in that core. Needing a defensive presence on the wing, Jackson can bring that, not to mention some underrated rebounding ability and a versatile offensive game, but He's in a situation where he's not going to be asked to carry an offense. That's Devin Booker's job. But he can contribute in a myriad of ways and just be an all-around player who injects athleticism into that team. And, you know, he could potentially be an interesting complement to Derek Jones Jr. as well because both those guys are some interesting, versatile defensive pieces. So that's just an awesome pickup for the Suns. I really liked this pick at number four overall. Josh Jackson was the number five player on my board, I believe. Maybe number six. Not sure, but... I, I like Jackson a lot, and I thought this was a great pickup for the Suns. What did you have, Cesar? Yeah, I gave it an A+, plus, you know, just solely on fit at this point. I think that, you know, they had uh, this scenario where they could have traded it, or, you know, there was a, some speculation where they could have paired Deer and Fox and Devin Booker here, but the Jackson selection, you know, addressed a more uh, immediate need. Obviously, that young core has a lot of offensive you know firepower with Devin Booker and Marquez Chris and you know a hopefully healthy Dragon Bender so having Jackson provides them some needed rebounding and they're in the top I think in the top four of worst defenses in the league so they give them a, a huge defensive boost so in terms of just fit alone Jackson obviously makes so much sense for them and you know he has 
uh, Fox surely would have been tempting at that point. You know, he has so much skill and would be a good pairing with Devin Booker. But the thought of, you know, Jackson, Devin Booker running the wings is, you know, a, a really interesting combo. I think that that'll be a really big upside play for, you know, the Suns heading forward. Yeah, just their lineup versatility now as well. Given, you know, Chris and Bender's interesting versatility in the front court and Jackson's ability to really swing between three positions. They have a lot of different ways they can mix and match their lineups. I mean, even having Derek Jones Jr. out there defending point guards and experimenting with Jackson as a point forward, that could be some interesting stuff they could do as well. So the Suns really have a lot of options with Josh Jackson. It was just a great selection for them. Uh, I wouldn't have rather than made any other selection at this point. Just loved it for them. Their next pick, however, I was not nearly as high on. They took Devon Reed out of Miami at number 32 overall. I give that pick a D plus. Basically, my deal with Devon Reed is usually I'm higher on these 3 and D type prospects, but I thought Devon Reed was a just an average prospect disguised as a 3 and D prospect because, you know, he's a decent three-point shooter, but nothing elite, 39% from three and 83% from the line, I think, So at least last season. So just not an elite shooter. But um, also not an elite defender, really. But he, he, he seems like it because he's six foot five with a seven foot wingspan. So he seems like he's a three and D prospect, but he just doesn't have great lateral movement on defense. Isn't really active that much on that end. So he's sort of a three and D prospect. Uh, in dis- he's a disguised three and D prospect. He kind of reminds me of Justin Holiday. You know, every couple years a team signs Justin Holiday, and then they're like, oh, we got this three and D guy, but then. Justin Holiday is just kind of average, and he's not really, you know, elite at shooting or playing defense. He's just kind of out there. I think that's what Reed is, and I thought there were better 3 and D options available. Obviously, our guy Wesley Awundu went uh, one pick later, and our guy Sterling Brown ended up going at number 46 to the Bucks. I mean, even I would have preferred like a Damian Dotson, who's at least an elite three-point shooter at this point, rather than a guy who, or Sundarius Thornwell was there too, ended up going number 48. So there was a number of options that the Suns could have gone with that would have been better fits for the the role that they're targeting with Reed. I just didn't think Reed was the guy for it. Um, maybe he ends up working out, you know, if he improves his jumper or becomes better movement or improves his movement laterally. But for now, I just wasn't very high on this pick. I mean, yeah, I, I understand the points. I think that, you know, I, I'm a little bit higher on Devin Reed than you. I think that he has some good ingredients to be one of those, you know, very valuable 3 and D guys, but he'll obviously need to do some work. But I think that what he's shown, you know, so far at his time at Miami is promising. He was, you know, a very willing defender and had some versatility on that side. Even though he didn't show great, you know, lateral quickness, he was all ACC defensive team. So that was impressive. And I think that he was a valuable piece for that Miami team, even though he wasn't, you know, the highly toted prospect that many people thought. So he shot, you know, a 37.8% from three. Uh, for his lifetime at Miami, you know, as a senior. So I think that, you know, he has some con- uh, has some decent consistency with the shot, and that's good to see. But obviously those numbers aren't super elite. So, you know, if he can continue to, to develop, you know, a shot and, you know, can get quicker on that other end, I think he can be valuable. So, you know, obviously the 3 and D label is, you know, thrown around a lot. This guy's a 3 and D label uh, guy. That guy's a 3 and D guy. So... I think Devin Reed has the right ingredients. He just has to know how to mix it. Yeah, I mean, it, it's hard for any of these second-round guys to become truly valuable 3D prospects, but I think there were a number of guys who had easier paths to doing it than Reed did. That was my main issue with this pick. But the Suns' next pick I liked a little more, getting Alec Peters out of Valparaiso at number 54. 
I gave this pick a C plus. You know, I certainly thought that there were some better values left on the board at this point. I mean, the number of guys who went undrafted I liked more than him, such as you know a Cameron Oliver who I had number 19 on my board, or a VJ Beecham who I had number 50 on my board. But Peters was my number 59 guy on my board, so it wasn't an incredible reach at number 54. Obviously, Peters is an elite shooter and has a pretty good scoring game all around, honestly, but mainly from outside the arc is what he projects to do well at the NBA. And, you know, pretty underrated as a rebounder as well. Not much on defense, though, just given his limited size and athleticism. But I think Peters could fill a stretch forward role, and the Suns had success with Mirza Toledovic a couple seasons ago, and maybe they try to see if Peters can become that guy for them, but he's probably going to spend time in the G League before they actually bring him up to the roster. But I didn't think it was the worst pick. You know, they didn't they didn't grab some random uh, overseas player just to have a random trade chip stasher take Jabari Bird like the Celtics did. So they could have done worse, but I, I didn't think it was a terrible pick. Yeah, I mean, it was interesting. I mean, Peters, you know, obviously chose to return to his school for the final season and became, you know, a strong example of NCAA players, you know, developing and increasing their production. You know, he put up some very solid numbers as a senior, you know, Averaging twenty nine point, excuse me, twenty five point six points per game and eleven point three rebounds per forty minutes. So those are obviously impressive numbers, and he shot sixty point four percent as sh- true shooting percentage. So he has some versatility on offense, and I think that you know if you put him you know in the G League or can you know get some developing time into him to you know rough out some of the you know obviously you know some faults that he has in his game I think that you know he could be a decent bench player and has some versatility on offense yeah just a big time production guy at Valparaiso and maybe a guy who becomes a role player for the Suns down the line as a stretch big man Uh, I'm going to give the Suns draft as a whole a B plus I love the Josh Jackson pick but their other two picks were a little underwhelming but actually I'll I'll bump that up to an A minus just because I think the Josh Jackson pick is the only one that really matters for them. So I, I thought the Josh Jackson pick was just so great that it, it'll help the rest of their drafts. And, yeah, I think the Suns are really set up well for the future. Yeah, I'll give it an A. I think Josh Jackson is the, the, piss, excuse me, not, the piece that they're missing to, you know, obviously building a young core that complements each other, you know, obviously having somebody like Josh Jackson complements the skills of Devin Booker and, you know, that, and all of the guys that are, you know, developing in that Phoenix team. So, you know, Josh Jackson is a very underrated passer, is a very good, you know, passer to guys like Frank Mason at KU. So having another guy that can really move the ball well and add some uh, strength on defenses will be very valuable, you know, to the Suns going forward. Yeah, next team to talk about is the Sacramento Kings, who had four picks in this year's draft after a couple of trades netted them some guys. Oh, uh, worth mentioning, we forgot on the Lakers to mention that P.J. Dozier, they did sign him on their summer league squad. So he's definitely an undrafted free agent to watch. I wasn't super high on Dozier, but you know he was, I believe, my number 66 prospect. So he, he's, he's a guy to watch. I don't, I don't know if he's necessarily an NBA player, but that is something to watch. No notable undrafted free agents for the Suns. But next up is the Kings to talk about. And they had four picks, the first being De'Aaron Fox out of Kentucky at number five overall. I love this pick. I gave it an A. I just think De'Aaron Fox is an awesome fit for the Kings' young core. He's a guy who wanted to play there, a guy who wanted to be in Sacramento. And that's one of the biggest things is just getting this culture shift in Sacramento because obviously with DeMarcus Cousins there for so long and so much of the dysfunctional regime there, it's honestly looking like it's cleaning up its act a little bit. And I think that um, 
Fox is just a guy who can be a culture change right away, a, a strong leader in the locker room, a guy who really cares and wants to win. And if he wants to be there alongside his buddy, Willie Cauley-Stein, they can be two young leaders for that team. And that's just something that's so huge. But besides that, I think Darren Fox is just an extremely great talent. I had him as my number three player on my board, but I was so close between him and Lonzo Ball. I basically wanted to put them as the same because I couldn't decide who I liked better. I ended up putting Fox at number three in the end. He's just so talented as a scorer, and he's got you know so much moxie in his game, getting to the rim so fast. Uh, great, great defender. He needs to add strength, obviously. Very thin frame right now, but has some great speed, some great tenacity on that end, and just his upside as you know a blur type player. I mean, he's been compared to John Wall, and he he could reach that level. He needs to obviously add a lot to his game, but he has the path to get there. And you know, I do think he has the ability to figure out his jumper. His his form is messed up, but I, I we've talked before. I think that De'Aaron Fox could certainly figure out his jumper and get it to that you know Mike Conley type of range where uh, he's been compared to Mike Conley as a guy who didn't have a jump shot coming out of college. And I think Fox could get there, and you know maybe Buddy Heald and De'Aaron Fox could be the the new Bradley Beal and John Wall out in the West. Who knows? I mean, obviously it's going to take some while or take some time for De'Aaron Fox to reach a level even close to John Wall, and he might not even ever get there, but. I thought this was a great pick for the Kings. Yeah, seems like the fortunes for the Sacramento Queens, as Shaq used to call them, but is now an owner somehow. I don't understand Shaq. But, you know, it seems like their fortunes are turning a little bit. The Kings obviously coveted uh, Fox throughout the pre-draft process, you know, and got their man at that number five spot. He's exactly, you know, the building block Sacramento needs and uh, was the best prospect left on the board. You know, Fox is one of the fastest players in the draft, and, you know, when he steps on the NBA floor, I think he'll be one of the fastest players in the league with the ball. So, he becoming, uh, having that, uh, that excuse me, that lights out speed is a huge, you know, asset having guys that can, you know, really blow by him and use that, you know, physical quickness to, you know, uh, shape his offensive game. So, and, you know, at, at the top of that draft, he was one of the best uh point guard defenders, you know, on defense, uh, obviously showing so much tenacity in the tournament, having to guard big-time guys, you know, with their, you know, run through the tournament, and, you know, having to lock down Lonzo Ball as he did. So, obviously, all of those were huge, you know, showcases of how good he can be on defense, and that's obviously a huge thing that the Sacramento Kings need. So, this long and, you know, winding, rebuilding just got a little more legitimate for the Kings. And, you know, I, we've talked a lot about, you know, Deer and Fox hopefully can fix his jumper. And I think that that's very possible. But with that said, you know, I don't think Fox is going to be stepping into the league and making NBA three points, uh, three points right off the bat. You know, he needs to surround, he needs to be surrounded by shooters, you know, in order to cash in on that electric, you know, pick and roll pre penetration, you know, 25.8% of his offense became, was part of penetra penetrating that defense, you know, which was in the 75th percentile. So that was very impressive. And if you get him to develop an outside shot, just like John Wall did, he can, you know, obviously be a very uh, valuable guy, you know, for that Sacramento team that's really needed to latch on to one star. Yeah. And you talk about surrounding with shooters. And I think that was the goal with their next pick at number 15 with Justin Jackson. Justin Jackson is a guy who obviously improved a lot as a jump shooter during his junior year at North Carolina, getting up a much higher volume of three-point shots and converting them at a higher rate as well, also hitting them in a number of ways. You know, the offensive leader of the national champions, 
Justin Jackson, I think, was a pretty safe pick as a guy you can count on as a shooter and a defender. But I was just a little bit lower on him because I don't think he's an elite athlete, and I don't know if he's going to have the strength to guard small forwards in the NBA. He might be better off guarding two guards. I mean, you saw him play better on Malik Monk the second time North Carolina and Kentucky played this season during the tournament. So he might be better guarding shooting guards. It'll really depend to see, but I think his jump shot, it looks pretty good, even though he didn't shoot well his first two seasons at North Carolina. So I give this pick a B. You know, I think there are certainly a few better values here, but if they were looking for a small forward, I think that, you know, Justin Jackson was their guy, at least as a safe pick. I mean, I like OG Ananobi more, but I understand the idea that they want to get shooters around Fox. And, you know, Ananobi's jump shot is a question. I don't think Justin Jackson's is. So what do you have for this pick, Cesar? Yeah, I give it a B plus. Obviously, the Kings had a nice decision to move down with no clear choice at number 10, obviously trading it to Portland. But, you know, this feels a little bit high for Jackson. The idea of him as a shooter and defender remains a little stronger than his actual skill set at this stage. He was able to lock down a lot of, you know, as you're talking about, a lot of, you know, three, a three at three small forwards, obviously, you know, on his time at UNC, but, you know, could transition to the, you know, guarding two, two guards. So he has the size and length, but obviously, you know, he didn't show his athleticism quite to that extent at UNC. So that's still a factor, but, you know, he's not an above the rim athlete and, you know, which may be seen as a limiting factor for his best canary case scenario situation. But, you know, it's not a sexy move, but credit Sacramento for making a relatively conservative pick for once. You know, it's conceivable. The picks, you know, the Kings weren't concerned about him going, you know, as hot before that, but they were, you know, wary that he could go before that 20 spot. So, you know, Justin Jackson obviously ended his UNC career on a high note, you know, being named ACC Player of the Year. And he's been very efficient his last year, you know, sh- shooting 22.9 points per 40 minutes on 56% true shooting percentage. So he's obviously a very efficient player. And if he gets his defensive, you know, problems in in a line and can increase his athleticism and strength, that they th- think that he can be a very important piece uh, to that, you know, Sacramento team. Yeah, I thought it was just a nice selection in terms of fit and I really think that, you know, if you're looking for a guy who's a legit small forward at this point that you don't have those injury questions with, like Ananobi, I thought Jackson was your guy. Their next selection I also liked, getting Harry Giles at number 20. You know, I'm not so sure about the fit, given that they already have a bunch of big men there. You know, Georges Papianis, Skyla Labissier, Willie Cauley-Stein, all guys who seem like they're part of that future core for Sacramento. Costa Cufas still around there as well. But... You know, Harry Giles is an upside play at number 20 when you've already got two first-round picks. I love it. You know, Giles was my number 34 player because, you know, I I wasn't super certain that he could recover from his injuries, and I'm still not super certain. But I just love the idea of taking a swing here with your third first-round pick and saying, you know, why not? Let's see if we can get Giles back to that form that made him look like a top-five pick before he had all these injuries. And, you know, Sacramento's not exactly known for their training staff, but they haven't had a ton of crazy injuries either. So maybe they can rehab Giles and get him to being a great player, you know. They took Scalabissier at number 28 last year after his slip because of his poor play at Kentucky. And, you know, Labissier looks a lot better than 28th after his rookie season in Sacramento. 
Maybe Giles could be a similar steal for them. What'd you have for this pick, Cesar? I mean, I gave it a B, you know, edging to a B minus. I like Harry Giles. He ha- obviously was one of the best, you know, high school prospects that we would have seen, you know, in years and would have probably been, you know, top five, top three pick if there were still high schoolers going to the draft. But, you know, with that said, I think that, you know, he is obviously very serious concerns about his knees, tearing his ACL in both knees, his MCL and meniscus as a uh, senior in high school, and a lot of those problems obviously lingered into his time at Duke, so there's, you know, a lot of concern about if you have damage in both knees, that's very serious, you know, and the fact that they're reoccurring, you know, isn't promising, but if they do, you know, have a training staff that could, you know, rehab him and be able to get, you know, that bulky, uh, excuse me, the bulky, you know, uh, frame off of his knee, then I think that he can play better and obviously has so much mobility and strength on offense as well as being a big-time shot blocker. So the Sacramento obviously has, you know, the room to take a shot, but I I, I think the, the Sacramento of, you know, two years ago would have taken Giles with, you know, the number five pick or something like that. So I'm glad they're learning their lesson a little bit, but I think that, you know, they still have, a little bit of that Sacramento DNA, and I, I don't blame them too much for it. Yeah, I, I thought it was a, a, even though it's a risky pick, I thought it was a low risk in terms of team building because they have so many young players. I mean, they have eight guys in their summer league roster this year that are legit roster guys, which that has to be a, a record. There's no team that's ever had that many legit young guys on their summer league team. Uh, one of those legit young guys is the guy they got at number 34, Frank Mason out of Kansas. I really liked this pick for the Kings. You know, I had Frank Mason a little lower on my board at number 44, but I, I didn't think this was really a reach at all. I gave this pick a B plus just because the draft got so thin on point guards at this point. Obviously, I was much higher on Juwan Evans than I was on Frank Mason, but I think if the Kings are looking for a veteran leader who can come in and be a capable backup point guard, you know, maybe spell De'Aaron Fox for minutes if he's struggling, I don't think they could have done much better than getting Mason here. I, I just I really like this pick because Mason's a composed player who can run an offense and you know really great shooter, tenacious defender, even given his size and athletic limitations, and a guy who really showed out at the combine. And you know, a lot of these point guards in recent years have become steals out of the second round because they just slipped because you know they didn't meet those athletic benchmarks for point guards, but they've come in and been contributors early. I can see Mason doing that. You know, he's a guy who you know could have a career like Jameer Nelson where. He's never a superstar, but Jameer Nelson did make one all-star team in a week east in 2009. So if Mason you know, has that strong career where he's just a very useful point guard who can be composed and run an offense and do all the little things well and be a good shooter, he could last a long time in the NBA. And I thought this was a really nice selection for the Kings, and I'm so glad they didn't take Ivan Rabb. Yeah, Kings make a lot of sense here. Mason obviously balled out at the NBA Combine, really showing some great skill in the 5-on-5. And, you know, while there was some really good guys in this range, obviously, you know, Jonah Bolton going uh, to 36 to the 76ers, Semi Ojale was still on the board, Jordan Bell. I would have liked those guys more because I think that they have a legitimate shot of being, you know, uh, high-level starters or, you know, 
providing more versatility. I like Frank Mason. I think that, you know, he'll be valuable in terms of being a good leader. And, you know, he's a good locker room guy who's going to provide you stability. And, you know, the Kings haven't had much of that in pre previous years. So with a second-round pick, I think that you can uh, risk it on, you know, an undersized point guard who can, you know, maintain the team and make smart decisions while Darren Fox is, you know, sitting on the bench. Yeah, the Kings have never had success with the uh, undersized point guards in the second round. So I, I don't know what they'd be thinking taking Frank Mason. So, yeah, maybe they'll just, you know, uh, let let Frank Mason walk for nothing and then let him go to the Celtics and be, be an all-star. That, that that could be Frank Mason's future. Uh, Frank Mason's not going to be Isaiah Thomas. We're not saying that. But, you know, the Kings maybe have learned their lesson and they maybe will be more valuing of their second-round point guard if he does turn out to be a starter-quality player. The Kings draft as a whole, I'm going to give it an A-. minus. I didn't think there was a bad pick in there. I thought Fox was a great pick, and I thought the rest of their picks were really solid in building a solid culture and helping build that young core of guys. What did you have for the great Cesar? I'll give it a B plus. I like Darren Fox a lot. Justin Jackson, you know, he's my guy. I can't say too much bad about him, but, you know, there are questions about him. And Giles... I don't ever, you know, advocate taking somebody that high with such, you know, severe, you know, questions about his health. And I think that that'll be a question going down the, you know, going forward. But, you know, they have some flexibility. But regardless of that, you know, that's, you know, a swing or miss and maybe a, a big bust. But also, you know, if he develops, can be valuable. But, you know, I like Frank Mason a lot, even though, you know, he, has, he is at KU. So, all of those picks, you know, are very logical, and I'll, I'll give it a very solid B+. Plus. All right, and Sacramento just went all in on getting those blue bloods. Kentucky, North Carolina, Duke, and Kansas. I mean, that's probably the top four basketball programs in the country. Not to try to start an argument with, you know, Louisville fans or Arizona fans or Indiana fans, but those really are the blue bloods, and that was pretty cool that Sacramento went and grabbed all those guys. Next team to talk about is the Golden State Warriors, who finally were getting to a team with less picks. The Warriors only had one pick in this year's draft, but... It was a great pick. They completely robbed the Chicago Bulls, uh, giving up $3.5 million to go and grab Jordan Bell at the number 38 pick. I give this pick an A, obviously, because not only because I like Jordan Bell, my number 26 player on my board, but because he's going to be worth better. He's going to be better than 26 in Golden State because you know they're the perfect team to utilize Jordan Bell because you know they don't really have like a young center that they super liked. You know, Damian Jones is a guy that people think is interesting, but didn't play a whole lot last year, and you know. Does, hasn't really flashed anything elite that he does, but Jordan Bell has all the tools to be an elite defender, and he could be a guy who could learn a lot from Draymond Green on defense. I mean, what better place to Jordan for Jordan Bell to go and learn from a guy like Draymond Green? He could potentially be like Draymond Green on defense. I don't know if he'll bring that Draymond Green value on offense, and you know, he may never reach Draymond's level because it is such a high level, but learning from the defensive master of being an undersized center, Jordan Bell is a great play, has a great place to go, and boy, Golden State. The rich just keep getting richer. This It's really unfair, and the Bulls are just so stupid. I can't believe they sold this pick to the Warriors, but the Warriors are the ones who benefited. What do you have for the great Cesar? Yeah, I think Joe Lacob and all those guys in the front office are making real smart decisions. Obviously, this is a great place for, you know, Bell to go. You know, who to who better to tutelage a guy who's been compared to Draymond Green than Draymond Green? You know, at 6'9", you know, 225 pounds with, you know, 6'11 wingspan. He has a great physical frame. And on defense, you know, what if everybody been criticizing, you know, the war the Warriors for, oh, they couldn't beat, you know, the 3 Lakers because they don't have size. Well, they just bought an excellent big man who can provide, you know, 
a defense and doesn't need to be asked to do anything on offense that you know can provide you so much value there and i think that he'll obviously outplay his value you know at that 38 spot so Jordan Bell is, you know, one of those guys to watch where he's put in the perfect scenario where, you know, he's he doesn't he isn't asked to do anything on offense, you know, barely anything, probably putbacks and, you know, running the rim a little bit. So, but being able to utilize his, you know, obviously his prowess as a shot blocker and as a very good defender. So, I think that that will be a huge bonus for the Warriors who, you know, obviously are don't have too many young guys but have so much, you know, in store for them. Yeah, I mean, Patrick McCaw and Jordan Bell, two straight years of just buying second-round picks and nailing them for the Warriors. Just an awesome front office. They truly are light years ahead. I, I hate to say it because I'm not a Warriors fan, but, man, you just have to give it up for these guys. They're doing a great job. Warriors draft as a whole, I'm going to give it an A, obviously. I love that Jordan Bell pick, and that's that was their whole draft because you know they didn't have any other picks. And worth noting, they did sign Bryce Alford in uh, undrafted free agency as a guy for their summer league team. They got a couple other college seniors. They got uh, Chris Boucher as well. So they have some guys to watch, although their roster seems like it's going to be pretty full. So I wouldn't count on Alford or Boucher cracking the roster, but maybe they're guys who could be on two-way contracts with the Santa Cruz Warriors. What would you give their draft, Cesar? I give an A+. Plus. I love Jordan Bell specifically because he took down KU with that eight-block performance. That was pretty sweet. But outside of that, you know, he will be a huge part for that, you know, Golden State Warrior team that, you know, is going to look to dominate and, you know, needs cheap young guys to, you know, complement, of course, the $200 million man that is Steph Curry and all those guys. So it was a really intelligent move. And, you know, for $3 million, Joe Lacob makes that in a sleep. So uh, I really like it. Don't bring up that Jordan Bell eight block performance ever again on the podcast. Ooh, it's please. sweet. It's that was so a tough sweet. game to watch. I was, that was tough. Anyways, next team to talk about, the last team in the Pacific Division. That we're going to be covering is the Los Angeles Clippers, another team that did some great work after not entering the night with any picks. They got two just awesome picks. The Clippers might have my favorite draft out of anybody, honestly. First pick being number 39. They got Jawan Evans out of Oklahoma State there. Just an awesome selection. I give it an A. I can't believe Jawan Evans was available there for them, but uh, they certainly capitalized on him being available and moving up to grab that pick. I don't remember exactly what they gave up, but I know it was not much, and uh, you know, Jawan Evans is a guy who could see a ton of minutes for them next year as Chris Paul has been traded to the Rockets. You know, they did bring in Lou Williams and Patrick Beverly in that trade, but I still think they'll have a lot of guards minutes go around, even with Austin Rivers and Jamal Crawford still there. I still think, you know, Evans is a guy that they could look to give some minutes because I think they might try to be entering a rebuild, even though they brought back Blake Griffin. Well, Evans was the number 20 player on my board. I just love his point guard game, and I think he's so good at so many things, and He's one of those guys who got overlooked because he was under six foot at 5'11 and a half, but he's got a 6'5 half wingspan that should help him compensate on defense. He, he posted a great steal percentage at Oklahoma State, which is always a good indicator for defensive ability. And, you know, he's just a really tough player, does everything well on offense, you know, great in the pick and roll, great passer, uh, good at finishing around the rim. You know, not an elite jump shooter, but a pretty good shooter. He's just a guy who does so many things well and just, he's a great point guard. And he's, he reminds me of a light Chris Paul. Now, he's not going to be Chris Paul, but he could be you know, a Chris Paul light version. And I just really like Jawan Evans. I thought this was an awesome pick for the Clippers. Jawan Evans had a huge bounce back season at Oklahoma State You know, after a very disastrous freshman season. And 
putting up some huge numbers, you know, averaging 25.9 points and 8.8 assists per 40 minutes. So, you know, while he did measure just half an inch under six foot, I think that he plays a lot bigger than his size and takes care of the ball really well. So I think that he makes a lot of sense for that Clippers team who have the highest paid uh, stand-up comedian who just happens to play basketball too on the side, a.k.a. Blake Griffin. So uh, I think that he'll be very valuable and, and being able to see some big minutes for that Clippers team will be good. You know, one of the other biggest... Uh, benefits of Jawan Evans was, you know, how familiar he was to the pick and roll already. At Oklahoma State, they ran a very pick and roll heavy offense, you know, with 56.3% of Evans' total derived offensive possessions. So, of all of his passing and scoring, the majority of it coming from the pick and roll. So, he's obviously very, you know, uh, accustomed to that system and can slide into that team very well and I think that he'll be you know a really good player along with you know hopefully guys that they're going to be bringing in and you know rebuilding yeah you mentioned Juwan Evans injury his freshman year always good to see guys bounce back from injury and make it into the NBA uh, I thought this was an awesome pick for the Clippers I love Juwan Evans and their next selection at number 48 I was just as high on getting some Darius Thornwell there uh Another pick where I was just like, man, the Clippers are just—they're just doing awesome. I gave this pick an A as well. You know, they needed—they need to add wings to this team, and Sundarius Thornwell is a great wing. You know, he's one of my favorite three and D prospects in this class, or at least a guy who could profile as that. Just because, you know, I think Thornwell was such a great defender in college, and you know, his three-point shot isn't elite, and like Josh Hart, it is a bit laborious, but. He was an extremely well-rounded player on offense, and he just does so many things. You know, posting a 16.7 box plus minus last year at South Carolina, a ridiculous number. Basically, he was that team. He was South Carolina, and they made it to the Final Four on his back. The number 25 player on my board, getting him at number 48, that's just incredible value for the Clippers. And, you know, just in Darius I could go on and on about him, but I'm going to let Cesar do that because... I think Cesar wants to talk about this pick for a long time, so Ooh. I'm, I'm going to hand this one off to Cesar because I know he's been wanting to talk about Sundari Stormwell to the Clippers. I'm about to have a soliloquy about this man. Sundari uh, <laughs> Thornwell, you know, was one of the best players to ever play for the South Carolina Gamecocks, you know, leading the team to their first Final Four in school history, so he obviously, uh, excuse me, obviously, you know, accomplished a lot at his time at South Carolina. And, you know, he's about to turn 23 and looks like a man amongst boys, you know, at his time in the NCAA and possesses the physical makeup to, you know, step onto an NBA court tomorrow, measuring a hair under, you know, 6'5", with impressive 6'10", wingspan. You know, he's a very strong dude and Sundarius, you know, has a huge, you know, very versatile NBA body and he has a lot of versatility that he can uh that he can you know provide to defend multiple positions you know critical skill that nba teams desire so although he lacks you know level of athleticism he you know he's obviously a elite shooter and you know provides a lot on defense he doesn't have huge athleticism but he can carve out a, a very important role at an nba team and you know has the physicality and length to be you know have a very special two-way skill so you know Obviously, I like Sundarius Thornwell. I think that he was undervalued in this draft with so many shooting guards. But with having a guy that's already seasoned and is so good on defense, that'll be a huge bolster for you know the Clippers who've had that you know 
who have had really problems with you know shooting guard. Obviously, you know JJ Redick leaving and what they're gonna do for the future. So I think that he'll be very valuable. And man, Kansas can learn a lot from North Carolina and South Carolina. Treat Missouri better, man. That that's your sister state, bro. We all know North Carolina's better, but we don't let them know that. Hey, man, uh, go read a history textbook and learn about uh, all the stuff Missouri has done to Kansas. Anyways, yeah, Thornwell, awesome fit with the Clippers just as a really versatile wing player. You know, he, I think he's really underrated in terms of just the fact that he had to completely carry that South Carolina offense last year. 9.9 free throw attempts for 40 minutes. Managed to convert 83% of those. 39% from three on 5.6. Three-point attempts per 40 minutes. And also ran a lot of playmaking for them, posting a 19.3 assist percentage to only an 11.9 turnover percentage. And just on defense, put up some phenomenal stats. 3.6 steal percentage, 6.7 defensive box plus minus, 3.4 box block percentage, excuse me. You know, he could come in and be like a Malcolm Brogdon, just as like this all-around player who comes in and succeeds right away for his team. You know, maybe doesn't have the greatest upside because as Cesar was talking about, not a phenomenal athlete, you know, probably not going to draw that many fouls in the NBA because he just doesn't have the elite athleticism necessary to be a great penetrator. But in time, I think he'll be able to swing between the two, the three, and the four and just be a really valuable, versatile player, you know, maybe maybe in the mold of a P.J. Tucker with maybe a little more ball handling craftiness on offense. So, And a better shooter as well. I think he's definitely a better shooter than P.J. Tucker. So he's got a lot going for him, and I think Thornwell is an awesome player. Yeah, he's going to be great. Uh, I think, you know, I compare him to Patrick Beverly. Obviously, you know, he plays off the ball a lot. So he's going to be, be a huge, you know, defensive boost for the Clippers. And I think that if they really want to compliment Thornwell and Lou Williams, uh, you know, in the future, I think Steve Ballmer will need to bust out that, you know, very thick wallet to, you know, get some superstars in the future. Move on from Blake Griffin and let the man do comedy. He should be on a, an arena football team at this point. They're paying him $173 million over the next five years. So I think Steve Ballmer's busting out plenty of play- paychecks for uh, for Blake. But, yeah, maybe they can bring in a- another star. And I think Thornwell and Evans are just two awesome complimentary young players for that next iteration of the Clippers following the Chris Paul age. I gave their draft as a whole an A-plus. What do you have for it, Cesar? I give them an A-plus for... You know, not having too much and being able to, you know, come out with a lot in terms of value is great. And they got two very quality players that, you know, will, will, we'll wonder, you know, how did, you know, Jawan Evans, you know, a very valuable backup point guard or a guy, you know, who can, who can really provide some value along with Thornwell, you can say, how did they fall to that, you know, second round? Yeah, they got two first round talents after not coming tonight with any picks and didn't really have to give up much. That's awesome. They also got two interesting undrafted free agents. Uh, your boy Isaiah Hicks uh, got him on the undrafted free agent block. And also Luke Nelson out of UC Irvine. Interesting player as a, a shooter and a defender. So two guys to watch for them in summer league. Um, so the Clippers draft, they, they did awesome. And that finishes up the Pacific Division, which had 14 picks. That's more than the Southeast, or excuse me, Southwest and Central Divisions had combined. So we made it through those picks. We didn't take too long, hopefully. And we'll be going through the Northwest Division now, which thankfully has a few less guys. I believe there's only 10 picks in this division, so this should go a little faster. First team in the Northwest Division to cover is the Portland Trailblazers, who had two picks. The first being Zach Collins at number 10, which they used the number 15 and number 20 picks to trade up and grab. I give this pick a B. You know, I like the value here for Collins. He was the number 11 player on my board. I just thought he was the best big man in this draft. You know, good all-around center who projects to be a really useful player. 
particularly if his you know numbers can translate given his posting those stats against a lot of you know inferior WCC competition. But I don't know about the fit just because Portland does have a lot invested in that front court and unless they're planning on moving on from Yusuf Nurkic, which I would doubt that they are, I don't see exactly where Collins fits because I don't love the idea of using him as a power forward, especially as the NBA continues to downsize. But Cesar's talked before about you know platooning Zach Collins and Nurkic together, so I can understand that, but I still don't love this pick as much as you know some of these other picks that were in the lottery. Yeah, I I mean I think I'm higher on Zach Collins. You know, Zach Collins was one of the best big men in this draft. Obviously, you know, very heavy on guards, but you know, it didn't make very much sense for Portland to use all of their three first round selections. So they since they have so little cap space, so they moved up to that ten spot to get a defensive minded a big man who obviously has a lot of you know upside and can really you know improve his game once his jump shot you know c- continues to strengthen and I I think I see you know the compliment of how he can work with Nurkic since Nurkic you know isn't one of those guys who you can put out for more than twenty five minutes a night and he, you know sort of maxes out in what he you're, he's able to do at some point so. Zach Collins will, you know, be an important piece in terms of providing shot blocking and elite, you know, rebounding uh, numbers for, you know, a team that has needed to surround Dame and CJ with, you know, elite defenders and other guys that can complement them well. So at that 10th spot, I think that he's really good value. I think that that's, you know, of course, where he was going to go in that range. But I really love it because that's obviously a great fit for him. He's not required to, you know, uh, you know, lift a huge offensive load, but has, you know, some versatility in his jump shot. But, you know, he can really complement those two stars well with his, you know, work on defense. Yeah, I mean, I could see it working out, especially if they do move to that platoon like you mentioned. But they did play Nurkic 29 minutes a game last season in the 20 games that he played for them. So maybe maybe Collins doesn't play a ton, but he's a guy who could be an insurance option. You know, if Nurkic continues to suffer from injuries. So, and also, they could use him as a bargaining chip in Nurkic's contract extension negotiations. So that's something to watch. And especially as the Blazers approach the luxury tax, they may just move, choose to move on from Nurkic instead of getting that luxury tax bill even higher than it already will be. But that's interesting to watch, and that'll be something to see how that affects Zach Collins' development. Their next pick was number 26, where they took Caleb Swanigan out of Purdue. I give this pick a C+. Plus. You know, I was a Caleb Swanigan fan, but... I thought this was a little too high for him. He was the number 36 player on my board. And, you know, I don't think the Blazers should have gone big man here after going big man at number 10. You know, I think they'll really be stacked in the front court now. I know they maybe think that they can play Caleb Swanigan at power forward, but given the fact that none of their centers are really that mobile, I think they're going to struggle to play Swanigan and one of their centers alongside each other and maintain any semblance of a good defense, which, again, is already going to be hard with Damon CJ out there. So it's going to be interesting to see how they can fit Swanigan in. But I would have liked to see them go with a forward, you know, maybe like a Shemi Ojale or Jonah Bolden was still available. So obviously we say we would have liked to see Shemi Ojale or Jonah Bolden in a lot of spots. But again, those were two really good players who could be plug and played in a lot of different areas. So I didn't love this pick, but I think they could have done worse than getting Kelps Wanigan here. Yeah, I was higher on this pick. I think the problem with, you know, getting a, a point guard or a shooting guard at this point is, you know, the draft thinned out so much. But I think Swanigan is, you know, a decent value, if not, you know, slightly overdrafted. But, you know, that's something that, you know, they'll 
provide, you know, in terms of long-term value. So, you know, the Blazers add another intriguing piece to their front court in Swallingen, who had the best, you know, stories in the draft and brings a lot of skill and toughness to the next level. You know, he's undersized and may struggle defensively due to, you know, his slower feet, but he's a great passer and rebounder, you know, plays bigger than his size. And, you know, this is a bit of a gamble, but, you know, a worthwhile one for Portland who, you know, finds a really unique player who can, you know, provide a lot to that team so you know i think that the problem with you know picking us a, a point guard at this point is they thin out a lot you know a lot of the big guys are going in this in this range you know pasechnik's was taken one earlier you know joe bone going picks later so unless you want to swing for a jawan evans i think that you know swanigan makes sense here if not you're drafting him just a little bit over yeah i mean i would like to see them go with you know more of a true forward because i think Swanigan isn't going to be able to hang at power forward unless he really sheds a lot more weight and shows off some mobility. You know, I really would have liked Shemi Ojale in Portland. I love that fit. I'm surprised they ended up passing on him, but it's whatever. I'm going to give their draft as a whole a C plus. You know, I thought they could have done better, but or I mean, I guess a B minus rather than a C plus. I thought they could have done better, but I didn't think they had any horrible picks. Yeah, I gave it a B plus. I like Zach Collins. I I understand the fit and you know what he'll be able to do and what he'll be asked in Portland and Swanigan. You know he may be an interesting piece moving forward. You know he may not be everything that he was at Purdue, but I still think that he has some value as a guy that can bring a lot of toughness and you know grit to your offense. Yeah, next team to talk about is the Utah Jazz, who had three picks in this year's draft after trading up to number thirteen with the Denver Nuggets and acquiring Donovan Mitchell. I love this pick for the Jazz. I gave it an A. You know, I was one of the biggest Donovan Mitchell fans before the draft. He was the number seven player on my board. I'm just so high on his the translation of his game to the NBA and his potential to continue improving as his jump shot continues to catch up with his elite athletic and defensive ability. And, you know, Utah's a team that you know, Gordon Hayward's free agency is still up in the air. By the time you listen to this, he's probably signed somewhere else. But, a lot of how Donovan Mitchell depend, develops will depend on what goes on with Gordon Hayward, but he's he's a guy who could definitely fill a role in Utah, especially if you know they look to play him at point guard some, which I think they might be doing that now that you know it looks like they'll move on from George Hill and they brought in Ricky Rubio. So Mitchell's a guy who could be a versatile backcourt piece for them, and I, I was just so high on him as a prospect, and I think he was a guy who could fit in a number of places. So I love this pick for the Jazz, and uh, I really thought they killed that trade with Denver, you know. Trey Lyles and Tyler Lydon were definitely not worth Donovan Mitchell, so this is a great move for the Jazz. Yeah, Mitchell was the top available guard at that 13 spot and fills a potential big hole for Utah with George Hill potentially heading other way, other you know elsewhere, and you know giving that Gordon Hayward's future is unclear. Taking a swing on an upside pick like Mitchell makes a lot of sense. He's hyper athletic and you know become can't, could become you know dynamic you know player on the on either guard spot so i think that you know while lyle showed some promise the jazz you know acted decisively here and for a good reason you know mitchell's strong defense and promising off offensive game will work well you know with ricky rubio obviously traded to utah and a guy that you know obviously has a lot of uh skill as a passer and as a defensive force so those two should work really well together and donovan mitchell was one of the best values at that number 13 spot yeah i think that mitchell and rubio could be a really interesting backcourt both of those guys face some questions about their jump shot but i think donovan mitchell's jump jumper is on a good trajectory 
And, you know, he's a guy who's an extremely hard worker and has continued to improve his jump shot. So I'm confident in his jump shot being successful at the NBA level. I was also pretty high on the Jazz's next pick. Uh, again, making another trade to 28 where they grabbed Tony Bradley out of UNC. I gave this grade a B plus, you know. I wasn't super high on Tony Bradley. He was the number 38 player on my board. But I think that he's he's a good fit in Utah as they look for a backup center. You know, he might be limited some just because, you know, Rudy Gobert is going to be stealing so many of those minutes at center. But I think he can provide quality backup center minutes just, you know, as a, as a good rebounder, a good finisher. Uh, Jonathan Charks last week on the podcast, he's super high on Tony Bradley because, you know, he, he likes Tony Bradley's ability to develop more on offense as a passer and jump shooter. And, you know, I, I saw a little bit of Tony Bradley's, you know, passing ability at UNC, but I don't know how successful he can be defensively given his slow foot speed. So that's what limits him to a backup role in my mind. But I thought this was a pretty good selection for Utah in terms of fit. Yeah, the the Jazz were one of the teams that loved Bradley and are getting a talented player with upside here. You know, although he'll need to continue to work on his body and expanding his, you know, skill level, he sh- he should become a nice uh, developmental big for Utah with some potential to be a two-way contributor. You know, but there are other questions around whether he can develop a jump shot going along. You know, our guy Jonathan Jarks obviously has some faith in him, but, you know, he's a solid rebounder and is very good with putbacks, so, you know, along along with the fact that he won't get very many minutes behind Rudy Gobert, I think that he can, you know, still have some promise and can be a good piece moving forward, you know, as he begins to, you know, expand his game and work on, you know, things outside of, you know, his good physical frame and, you know, using that athleticism. Yeah, and if you'll remember in our mock draft series, we put in a lock that Tony Bradley would go number 28. We did say he'd go to the Lakers, but we we did get it right that he would go number 28 overall. Uh, so that's pretty fun that, that we did pick that right. The Jazz last pick in the draft was at number 55, where they grabbed Nigel Williams-Goss out of Gonzaga. I, I liked Williams-Goss. I think that he has a pretty clear-cut role if he wants to make it in the NBA. He has to improve his three-point shot, but he, he he's a really great defender. And if he's going to crack an NBA roster, and he, he has to get that three-point shot to 40%. But if he can do that, I think he's a guy who can fill a role. You know, Utah's guard rotation is looking pretty crowded, even with George Hill gone. You know, bringing in Donovan Mitchell and trying to get Dante Exum some more minutes potentially, and obviously trading for Ricky Rubio as well. So I don't know if Williams Goss is going to be a contributor in Utah, but he's got to watch potentially on a two-way contract or uh, as a guy who could go overseas or something like that. But I thought it was a good pick. I gave it a B plus. Yeah, I gave it a B plus too. This is a very solid pickup at that number fifty-five spot. Williams Goss is one of the best defensive point guards in this draft, and he was an important leader for that nearly national championship Gonzaga team. So he is a willing and you know very active defender who can run the show. You know he had two point one. A 2.18 assist to turnover ratio, very good. And he showed some very good promise as a playmaker out of the pick and roll and knocked down just enough threes and elbow jumpers, you know, to keep the defensive honest. So he has some, you know, he has some strengths on offense, even though he his main priority will be on defense. So I think that, you know, it's a very solid pick for a backup point guard, even if he doesn't end up in Utah. He can bring defense and good decision-making to, you know, any team that he goes to. Yeah, Jazz draft as a whole, I'm going to give it an A-. You know, I thought they made three really solid selections, and I especially loved the Donovan Mitchell pick. What would you have for them, Cesar? Yeah, I gave it an A. I like Donovan Mitchell. He makes so much sense. 
you know, and Tony Bradley, of course, my guy. I wish he would have stayed and brought us another national championship, but we got a lot of banners already. It's getting kind of crowded. But, you know, and then Nigel Williams-Goss, you know, he's he'll be very good value in terms of bringing some defensive pressure and, you know, and some good decision-making. So they made a lot of smart decisions and picked up some guys who have some decent value. Yeah, good draft for the Jazz. Next team to talk about is the Minnesota Timberwolves, who just had one pick in this draft after the Jimmy Butler trade, taking Justin Patton, number 16 overall. You know, I didn't think this was a very good pick. I gave it a C-, minus just because... I didn't see the need for them to grab another big man. They just signed Taj Gibson yesterday as well, so they really have a ton of bigs who just aren't very good shooters in that front court now, but it's Tibbs' team. He's running it the way he wants to, and I guess he wants to play with two traditional bigs, even though I don't think that's the best way to maximize Carl Anthony Towns. But, you know, Justin Patton certainly has some upside given his athletic ability and the flashes he's shown. He's just a guy who has to become more physical and more in tune with what's going on in the court, but... If he can do that after spending some time in the G League, because uh, he, he can definitely reach that level. And I think definitely next year he will spend a lot of time in the G League because he, he should not be getting any playing time for Minnesota given how stacked their big man rotation is. Patton was one of those big upside uh, bigs in this draft. And I think Tibbs knows what he's doing. And, you know, having a guy with a lot of upside who years down the road could, you know, prov- prove to be something. You know, he has some decent athleticism and size. So while you have, you know, that franchise facing Carl Anthony Towns, I think that, you know, having a big coming off the bench or, you know, a guy that you can fit in there some years down the road will be valuable. You know, Patton has to work on a lot of things. You know, he wasn't a superb, you know, outside of the paint shooter. That's something he'll need to improve on and, you know, really be able to find his niche with so many big odds on that roster. But, you know, I trust Tibbs, and I think that, you know, his M.O. is to have a roster filled with big guys who can, you know, have a grit and grime and, you know, really play tough. So I think that Justin Patton, you know, makes sense for them, but, you know, may not be exactly the best value. Yeah, we'll definitely need some time to learn in the G League next year, but I thought there were a number of ways that they could have used this pick that would have been more beneficial to them. But Tibbs has a way he wants to run this team, and he's going to do it that way. I gave their draft as a whole a C-. Justin Patton was their only pick, so I'm going to match that grade. And I, I thought that you know they could have done better with that selection, but uh, I didn't think it was you know the worst pick in the draft. Yeah, uh, I'll give it a C. It was interesting how, you know, seems like you and a lot of people are higher on Justin Patton earlier on, but, you know, he's been exposed and, you know, in terms of just how efficient he can be on an offense, but it makes sense. And, I mean, I don't hurt, I don't, you know, discredit Tibbs for making this, but, you know, he's not exactly the best value, so I gave it a C. Yeah, uh, a number of undrafted free agents got picked up by the Timberwolves after the draft. They got. Deontay Burton out of Iowa State, VJ Beecham from Notre Dame, Charles Cook from Dayton, and Emile Jefferson out of Duke. All guys who uh, I really liked. I was a little lower on Jefferson, but Burton and Beecham were two guys I especially liked. And Cook, I think, has some real upside as a 3 and D contributor. So those guys could potentially be a part of the Timberwolves roster next season or on two-way contracts. So some good pickups for them. Next team to talk about is the Oklahoma City Thunder, who had just one selection in this year's draft, Terrence Ferguson at number 21. Another team with one selection that I did not like what they did here at all. I gave it a D. I was just low on Ferguson. Uh, I just did not think that he really did a whole lot that impressed me. He was the number 45 player on my board. You know, people people painted him as this elite three-point shooter, but he really hasn't shown that outside of the 2016 Nike Hoop Summit and, you know, some, some display in high school. 
But last season with the Adelaide 36ers, he just struggled a ton. And, you know, he's skinny. I think he's a great athlete, but outside of that, I don't know much that he does. And I thought there were a number of other options that the Thunder could have chased here. But, you know, maybe Ferguson can learn from Paul George now that Paul George is in OKC. But, you know, I, I definitely did not think that this was the best pick for them. What do you have for it, Cesar? Uh, I'm, I gave it a, a C-plus edging to a B-minus. Uh, Ferguson obviously shut down his workouts late in the pre-draft process, and that was believed to have been because he got a promise from somebody in the first round, and I guess the Thunder were that promise. You know, Ferguson is still very raw after a year of playing pro ball in Australia, but he he can really he can shoot it to some degree and bring some athleticism to that Thunder wing. So he needs time to develop his game off the ball and put on some weight. But you know, it doesn't make too much sense in terms of you know where he projects to hit his prime, since the Thunder could have gone with a more win now route for Russell Westbrook State, and I think that you know Ferguson is is often, you know, misportrayed or exaggerated as one of the, you know, best three-point shooters when his stat lines from last year in Australia don't necessarily support that. He shot just 31% from three on 2.2 attempts per game and, you know, a very questionable 60% from the three-throw line. So those those aren't elite numbers where, you know, compared to where he's taken at that 21 spot. I think that there's guys that, you know, the Thunder passed up on that have much better numbers that can, you know, support the claims that they're making. And, you know, he's not a great passer or rebounder, you know, to, to distract from his below, uh, below average shooting percentages. So, you know, I don't think he does too much well or, you know, too much well at this point, but he's still very raw. And, you know, if he does spend some years developing, I think that he will, you know, add some value, you know, if not, you know, be certainly limited yeah uh not a great draft for the thunder as a whole i'm gonna give it a d what do you have for cesar yeah i gave it a c just you know because i think that ferguson has athleticism that's important and you know i i, they, I guess that was the top guy on their board and i guess you know you get into a quandary sometime but you know with the numbers not really supporting what people around the league you know see ferguson as you know it'll be interesting to see how he pans out and you know what role he can actually play if you know he's kind of miscasted as this elite three-point shooter yeah uh, one interesting undrafted free agent for the thunder malcolm hill the number 65 player on my board out of illinois uh sort of all-around small forward who you know Nice athlete, good transition player. Could become something down the line. But for now, you know, I didn't really see him as an NBA player. But last team to talk about finishing off our series, uh, recapping the draft and giving out grades, is the Denver Nuggets, who had three picks in this year's draft. The first being Tyler Lydon at number 24. I'm not going to go too long on this pick. It was a bad pick. I gave it a D plus. You know, they've just got way too many power forwards already. They traded for Trey Lyles in that Utah trade. And what do they do? They just draft another power forward. I don't see how Leiden gets minutes. You know, I think he's worse than Juan Hernan Gomez and Trey Lyles already. And I don't think he complements Jokic very well just because I don't think he's mobile enough to be that successful on defense, even though he was a decent shot blocker during his time at Syracuse. So I thought there were a number of better selections they could have made with this pick. And, you know, I really didn't like it. Uh, what do you have for this pick, Cesar? I gave it a, you know, a, a C- minus just on the fact that uh, Leiden doesn't really, you know, fit the MO of the Nuggets at this point. And, you know, having another 
power forward at at that spot I think that you know it'll be interesting to see how that roster you know fills up you know obviously they moved back from that number 13 spot where I think they could have gotten a quality guy and I think there's there's still guys that provide more value than Leiden you know at that spot obviously put OG Ananobi going one pick forward and Pasechnik's, you know, going right after. So I think that there's guys, and obviously big guys, that can provide some more value since Leiden didn't show, you know, too much promise, you know, at his time at Syracuse. So he has a clear path to becoming a role player, but ultimately this is, you know, a bit underwhelming. Denver also got Trey Lyles in this deal with Utah, you know, who plays the same position. So it is a bit confusing. Yeah, I just don't see where Tyler Leiden fits in there. You mentioned OG Ananobi going one pick earlier and Anzaj Pasechnik's going to pick after. So you had some quality players going in that range, and I think Denver just kind of missed with this one. But, you know, maybe they like how Leiden fits with Jokic. I don't know why they would, but maybe they see something that we don't. Their next pick was Vlatko Cenchar at number 49 out of Mega Baymax. You know, I wasn't a big fan of this pick either. I mean, Cenchar, I see him as a power forward in the NBA, so I didn't see the fit. I gave the pick a C-, minus. you know. Cenchar was the number, let me check on this, 71 player on my board, so... Yeah, I just was not very high on Chenchar. I understand the need to grab a stash guy, but you know, I, I didn't see him as being very valuable because you know his jump shot just was not very good at all, and that was the main thing that I needed to see from him to see him as a successful player. Otherwise, I just see him as a long-term stash guy who's probably not going to come over. Yeah, the uh, Kankar, the 20-year-old... Chenchar. Chenchar. Well, I'm the Spanish one here, Jackson. The 21-year-old... Uh, excuse me, the 20-year-old had been making his way at Bega Max as, you know, a fine complimentary scorer. You know, he is a capable set shooter who can spread the floor effectively, but, you know, Kankar did uh, his best work off the ball this season, but complimented, you know, in a variety of ways. But, you know, I don't think he took that step this year at Mega Bay Max that a lot of people expected him to. And I think that, you know, obviously he's slightly undersized for that power forward spot, you know, at just at 6'8". So, you know, having a guy that, you know, can score off the ball is valuable. But I think that there is options where, you know, you can get better stash guys at that 47 spot. So, you know, Gankar was sort of in a uh, strange scenario where, you know, he had some upside and, you know, people had been talking about him, but, you know, he had ma made that next step that I really had hoped him to, you know, if he's going to play a role in that M in an NBA team. Yeah, it's a bit harder to evaluate these international guys because, you know, it's harder to get advanced stats on them. So a lot of the smarter draft people, you know, like Mike Schmitz, were a little higher on Chenchar. So we could be wrong on this one, but from my evaluation, I didn't like him that much. The Nuggets' last pick in this draft was Monte Morris at number 51, and I really liked this pick. I gave it an A-, minus, uh, one of my favorite second-round picks, just because I really thought the Nuggets needed to add something at point guard because, you know, Jamal Murray is a nice young player there, but I'm not sure if he's a true point guard going forward, and Emmanuel Moutier has really struggled. So I think getting another young point guard in the mix really helps, and Monte Morris is an extremely safe pick just as, you know, a very good uh, guy who can take care of the ball and tries hard on defense, you know. Not an elite shooter, but decent three-point shooter. Good floater game. Just all around really good player. And, you know, Kevin Pelton's statistical projections, I think, had Morris as the number three player in the draft. So, obviously, his advanced stats showed off something really well. I think it's probably the assist to turnover that translated so well for him. And I think he could be, you know, one of these success stories as a point guard out of the second round. Yeah, Morris was, you know, a very safe bet at that spot. Morris had, 
been a steady hand at the point guard position as he led the NCAA in assist-to-turnover ratio in three of his four seasons, which is very impressive. And, you know, posting an impressive career mark of 4.65 assist-to-turnover ratio. So he's a guy that, you know, can come into a system and, you know, can learn, you know, the culture and, you know, how that team runs well and, you know, ha and take care of the ball when, you know, a primary point guard is off the floor so he's done so you know in an NBA style pick and roll offense you know with 44.5% of his derived offense coming in pick and roll type plays so he's used to the pick and roll and he takes care of the ball well and that's I guess what you have to ask from for you know from a decent pack up point guard yeah Monte Morris just an awesome selection for the Nuggets I'm gonna give their draft as a whole C plus that's buoyed mostly by the Morris selection Lydon and Chenchar were just two picks I really didn't like Maybe they can try to trade either of those guys to a team that needs them more. You know, Miami definitely needs power forwards, but I just didn't see this pick or this draft, those picks for the Nuggets. I didn't really like it. Uh, what do you have for them, Cesar? Yeah, I give it a C. I didn't really, I, I, I don't know any, I didn't really know very much about Gankar or Leiden, you know, coming into this. Obviously, Leiden, you know, had some buzz, but I think that, you know, at that 24 spot, you can get guys at that power forward position or big men that, you know, can provide some more, uh, pr provide some more value there and, you know, have less questions about their game. So Monte Morris was a solid pick, but, you know, I'm not sure, you know, how he'll fit there in Denver. So, you know, it'll be interesting to see, you know, how they can pan out next season. Yeah. And that wraps up all grades for all 30 teams. Uh, if you want to listen to the other ones, go back through this podcast or listen to the other two that we have posted for the Atlantic and Southeast Divisions, and the Southwest and Central Divisions. So that brings us to an end. Uh, be sure to go leave those reviews on iTunes. We've been continuing to get a bunch of reviews, and they're really appreciated. So keep leaving those reviews, and uh, we'll see you all later this week. We'll catch you in the flippity-flop.